0: This is John 20, 1 to 18. So we're going to look at what the passage that John is describing here. And at the end, we're going to go look at the harmony of the Gospels regarding this. Because there are no contradictions, okay? There's no discrepancies in this. And we're going to be able to see how it all blends together. So, starting here. This story of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus' body rose from the dead and that he lives today, is an incredible, incredible story. That's incredible news. Truly it is, if you think about it. That doesn't happen, right? It doesn't. And so if you have incredible news, that requires evidence from credible sources right? If, we, if someone told us, oh, if you go out there and, you know, I don't know, everything's purple outside this church building, everything's purple. We think, no, that's pretty incredible. Who's telling me? Who's making this up? Some three-year-old downstairs, you know, whatever. So when you have incredible news, you need to have credible evidence. And I want you ladies to really think about this today when you watch the news. Anytime. Anytime. You've got to have credible evidence for incredible news. Any kind of news really, but for something like this, it really you really need to have it. So, chapter 20 opens up with on the first day of the week, and this first day of the week has been now been has become known as the Lord's Day, and we still celebrate the Lord's Day sabbath as that day that incredible thing happened okay and in revelation john talks about on the lord's day In acts it's on the lord's day the day that incredible day that they found out that the tomb was empty and jesus rose the lord's day on the first day of the week mary magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark still dark dusk i went out there this morning to uh, so I had a pear, and I never throw anything away on the farm, so I walked out with the pear core to give to my horses, and donkey was still laying down. He wasn't ready to get up. It was dark, and it was like not even dusk yet to walk out there, um, just to kind of see what it maybe would have been like for her to walk out early in the morning before, while it was still dark. And as I read through this, I want you to see the detail in it, Okay? It was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She's walking out there. There were other women there. We're going to find out there were other women in the storyline, but John is particularly focusing on Mary. Why Mary? Why a woman? They were like nothing in society, especially this one. She had a pretty checkered past. She was seemingly an unimportant person. She had lived with seven demons inside of her and she met Jesus and he cast them out and she became a follower. So she was just probably the -the run-of-the-mill prostitute, whatever, you know, who knows what her upbringing was. Who knows? She was unimportant in the world standard. She wasn't born into good family. Probably not. So she goes out and she sees this stone had been moved away. So she notices this and first thing that goes through her head is she feared the worst she feared the worst because grave robbers were that was a probably a business grave robbers you know all over the place um and, and jesus was you know who knows what they buried with him because he was the king you know whatever who knows what was in his grave so she fought the worst she was not anticipating a resurrection. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she saw enough to know that the stone was rolled away and that there was probably no body in there. She looked in and and could not see. Now it's still dark. Did she have a candle a lantern don't know if she stood in there and lit up that that you know cave kind of graveside but she assumed the worst that they had stolen his body and she runs in panic to tell Peter and John so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb notice the detail they go out And they're going toward the tomb. We know exactly where they're going. Both of them were running together. This is detail, isn't it? They are running together, okay? Um, But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He's not bragging here. What we know about John is not a bragger. I ran faster than him. Maybe he was... Well, we know he was younger than Peter, but... And we don't know. I sometimes think Peter was overweight. I don't know, but... (laughs) For whatever reason he outran him, it wasn't a boast, it was a fact. It was a detail that comes into play when you start to interview somebody on a crime or to try to in an investigation or try to get to what's going on. What really happened? It was a fact, detail that John adds in here. Because we want to have a credible witness, right? We want credible evidence. And that makes sense. Probably back then, if you knew Peter and John, you could probably look at the two of them and say, yeah, John could probably outrun Peter. Okay? So, again, incredible incredible story. What do you mean? They've, They've stolen, you know, what do you mean? What's going on? So they had to know firsthand for themselves... Plus, they were hearing from this woman. A woman wasn't very credible in that culture. It's like, what's going on? I mean, they knew Mary. Um, They knew her enough to realize that this is worth investigating, right? Otherwise, you silly woman, you're just a harlot, whatever. No, they didn't blow her off. They said, okay, what's going on? But it was so incredible, they had to find out firsthand what's going on. Because in Luke 24, it says, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. So they had to know, they had to see for themselves. And so now we're having their record involved in this. And so both of them were running ahead and and Peter um, reached the tomb. The other disciple who ran with Peter reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. So here's John. He gets there first and he stops and he's looking in. Notice, stooping to look in. The word look in means to clearly see a material object, to look at, to clearly understand what's going on, to collect the 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 to observe the scene. It's almost like he gets there and he's looking in and scoping it out. You know, not going in, rushing in like a bull in a china shop and just, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on here? But kind of, what, what is really happening? Taking in the details of the situation. He's observing the scene. But we have impetuous Peter promptly enters. He runs in, just like Peter would run in. That, that's evidence right there. Peter would do something like that. And he rushes in to the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lined with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Again, we have detail here, don't we? It's not just reported. Yeah, they went in and they just saw clothes there. Because if it was a made-up story, they could make up anything, right? And if you're going to make up anything, you've got to make sure everybody's on the same page. Now, I know you women are. Maybe not all of them, but... If you're anything like me, you've you've created your white lies through history, right? At least one. Don't tell mom this. If mom asks, this is the story, or whatever it is, right? Don't tell my husband I bought this. Tell him, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) Don't tell my friend I cheated on my diet. I didn't, you know, the ice cream's there for somebody else. You know, we have to get the story right with whoever's involved with the story. But here, we're just seeing that these things happened. And he saw the clothes lying there and John records it here. Jesus' body was nowhere to be seen. The clothes were there, what they had wrapped him in, the grave clothes, but his body was nowhere to be seen. It appeared like the body just came out of the clothes because they were undisturbed. Now, if there was robbers in there, a couple of things, you probably talked about it in your group, probably they would have been strewn about, right, a mess. You know, Where, where's all the gold they, you know, you know, left with them and everything. They didn't care about a dead body. Or they would have taken the whole thing out of there, right? But it was laying very neatly, very tidy, what they were seeing. It was not ransacked. It was neat and orderly. At that point, we had like 75 pounds of spices on the guy, right? A couple days go by, that stuff hardens. So there, it would have been a mess to cut that body, to cut those clothes off of that body. So he sees what's going on there. The other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, again a detail, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture. That he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So he came in and he saw and he believed the fact that the body's not here. The body's not here. It has risen. And he believed that. But he didn't understand the why of it. The why of it that Jesus would have to rise from the dead. The empty tune is evidence. That God accepted payment in full for the sins of his people. It's like, not exactly, but it is like the sacrifices that the Israelites would burn and consume. And remember the whole thing was consumed? A sweet, fragrant offering of smoke and and aroma up to God when they would sacrifice these, um, these animals, you know? It it was consumed, and and the fact that Jesus' body wasn't there, that he had taken it, that it was consumed, it was uh, uh, accepted by God as the payment in full for our sins. The holy justice of God was satisfied once for all in Christ, And where sin is atoned for, where sin has been paid for, it's been dealt with, it's no longer a debt held against a person, death is conquered and eternal life is given. That was the why. That was the poverty, the peace that that John didn't quite understand what was going on, but he knew that the body had risen from the dead. So we have incredible news here. And, and we're looking for the evidence from the source, from a credible source. And this passage, a lot of focus on the physical behavior of people. R- leaving first, time of day, running, weeping, panic, going back, comes here first, goes in, sees this. It's, it's a re- record of, of physical behavior of people, okay? So, and they, they went back. To their homes. They return to their home, but Mary returns to the tomb here, okay? She had gone to tell them. They probably started out running, and she tags along behind them. She was maybe even there while they were looking at this and going in. But they left, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in. Again, detail. It's not like she just, oh, she noticed that. She stooped to look in. And probably someone who would be there and knows where the tomb is realized that, yeah, you've got to stoop down to get in. Another detail. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, We don't have a record that Peter or John saw these angels. We have a record that Mary saw them. Maybe they probably only appeared to Mary. Could have appeared to them. They didn't record it. But we have Mary seeing these two angels. She's not really noticing the grave clothes. The focus isn't on that. The focus is on these two individuals that are in there. She's not recognizing them as angels. Angels are what? They're not our dead ancestors, reincarnated. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Angels are what? Created beings, messengers from God. Okay? And they were sitting. They were sitting at the head and the feet where Jesus' body was laying, in a resting position. They weren't working. They were just sitting there. There's no panic. We're hanging out. A calming, um, relaxed... There. In Exodus 25, 18 to 19, we have the cherubim placed at each end of the mercy seat, don't we? So this is symbolic. This is a statement. This is a, um, a beautiful picture that maybe when we get to heaven we'll fully understand the, the meaning of it. But um, it's like angels posted at both ends of the mercy seat. the Altar. Um, and they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Her focus is still on that. Where have they taken him? Where has he gone? She wasn't thinking of a risen savior. That was furthest thing from her mind. She just had a job to do. She was going to go and she was going to uh, f- uh, finish anointing his body because they had to do it in a rush mode and the women probably didn't even get a chance to do it. It was probably Nicodemus and Joseph who really kind of did that. Um, so they were coming in and they wanted to do their, their um, symbolic honoring of the dead and caring for Jesus' um, broken, horribly mutilated body. So her focus was on that. So she was a little distracted, and she was weeping, and she was crying. In f- 14, having said this, that she didn't know where they were, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. How did she turn around? Whatever. Again, it's detail. She's there. She's like boo-hooing. She's whatever, and she just, well, you know, I mean, I can't imagine whatever and she turns and there's another being standing there turns around she's overcome with grief and jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking ask two questions okay the angels only asked one why are you weeping because if she's looking for jesus she shouldn't be crying right so, he says, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, which makes sense. We're in the uh, the garden tomb and everything. She's not really probably even looking at him. She's just, it, it just you know, overwhelmed. And thinking he was the gardener, he maybe knew it was, had happened. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. Okay, here's Mary. Completely in a crisis mode, out of her mind, she thinks she's a female one woman going to carry a dead man, carcass with 75 pounds of spices in it, and she's going to go and and haul them off someplace. It's just like us to be irrational like that, right? She just wanted to be close to her Savior. She wanted to to love his body, and to care for him. She wanted to grieve. And in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, one word, one word. God spoke, and the heavens did this. God spoke, and this happened, right? One word, the power of one word. He says her name. He calls her by name, Oh my gosh, we went from zero to 200 in like split second on that one, didn't we? (laughs) Whatever happened inside of Mary's heart at that moment and her gut and her joy mixed with astonishment and just, she was on overdrive completely. She turns, when he said, here's her name, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni not rabbi, rabboni is great honor and supreme reverence. That's a a bigger, more important title than than rabbi, which means teacher. Supreme teacher, great whatever, oh my goodness. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. So you can know what happened in that moment, right? Oh my gosh, we get overwhelmed. We're just throwing ourselves on him. She's clinging to him and everything, and just wanted to hang on to him. She found him. I mean, the long... Lo- oh my gosh! If you've ever experienced somebody that you thought was lost, and you say, like, "Oh my gosh, where have you been? I've been looking for you." Oh my gosh, come here, you know, and you just kind of want to eat them up, right? Just <laughs> Oh man, we can all probably share experiences on that. Mommy, why are you crying? I'm just glad I found you, <laughs> right? Uh. Okay, and you're okay. So she's clinging to him, and he says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. More action verbs, but go to my brothers and say to them, again, behaviors to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went, obeyed, and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to me. So she's overcome with joy, and she just embraces him. She doesn't want to let him go. Now, he says, he says to her, "Don't stop clinging to me. It's a stop doing something rather than do not do something. Okay? I want to make that clear. It's not like, oh, don't touch me. You can't touch me because, you know, I'm less this phantom being. But it's like, stop doing it now. Don't delay me. You need to kind of, you've hugged me, whatever, and now we need to stop this. And it's not a reprimand of don't do it. It just means to stop, cease doing something that you're doing. There's a difference there with that. Okay? Don't detain me. Okay? But it tells us that she was able to cling to him, that his resurrected body was different because he's saying he hasn't ascended yet, but it was still tangible. It wasn't some phantom image in there. Okay? He gives her instructions what to do. And again, just like the woman at the well, Jesus announced his messiahship to the woman at the well, right? Now we have another woman, low life of society, an ex-prostitute. She became the first witness to see him. Your commentary gets into this, but I'll point it out also that a well, woman's testimony is nada. Zippo means nothing in that culture. We've come a long way, baby, haven't we? <laughs> But Jesus obviously valued women, okay? Those women were considered an unreliable source, okay? But think about this. If somebody wanted to make up this story and wanted it to be credible, and we were making it up and we were going to get our lies in line and stuff, we wouldn't necessarily lose somebody that, use a, a witness that would be not credible. We'd have to get someone that's really credible, like a Ph.D., double PhD, you know, those credentials mean a lot to us, whether they're stupid or not, right, common sense or not. We get someone that's credible. So that just kind of gives weight to the fact that it's not a made-up story, right? It wasn't the Pharisees who went in there and saw it, right? It wasn't, you know, Pharaoh who went in there and saw it. It was a woman. Okay, another thing I want to point out with this is that This is the first time when Jesus tells her, go and tell my brothers. This is the first time he refers to the disciples as brothers. They went from slaves, right? To I don't longer call you slaves. I now call you friends. We had the friend thing because the friend thing becomes... Remember we talked about that. A slave just takes commands. Yes, I'll do that. Don't ask any questions. A friend... Let's, you know, you let your friends know the reason why you're doing that. Because your friends kind of keep you in line too, right? Well, why are you going to do that? Well, oh, okay, you know, friend is in the know of the motive and different things like that. So Jesus started calling the disciples friends, but now he calls them brothers. That's a familiar connection. That's a connection. That's a new relationship that, that is there. It is a, um, a kinship um, Jesus was raised from the dead never to die again. He was the firstborn among many brethren. In Romans 8:29 For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Hey, that is the firstborn that is a and when we believe we become like him it 's a brother now it 's a sisterhood it 's a you know we are we are in the family of God, and so that resurrection marks that a new relationship that was going to be there with Christ and with God the Father and he 's saying he 's going to ascend um, Uh, He was going to be physically present for about 40 days, it says in Acts 1-3, and Acts, we're studying Acts next year. 40 days he was walking around present before he ascended. Um, And he says to them, he doesn't say, you know, I'm not going to our Father in God, because it's not a complete, it's not a belief that we are going to be like Christ. We are equal to Christ. We are like him, but we are not in that Godhead. We are not gods like him. We are Christ-like because he points it out here. He didn't say our Father and God. He says my Father and your Father, my God and your God, making a distinction between him being God, triune God, and us saints, creatures, He's God, creator, and we're creatures. We are adopted in as believers, as children. Paul writes to the Galatian believers in 3, 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. What a beautiful thing to point out in here. His old body rose um, like we're going to get new bodies too. Brothers in Christ. All right, this is incredible news. This is incredible, incredible news. Now, there's a lot of critics out there that are going to say, well, Matthew says this, and, you know, Luke says this, and, you know, whatever. Okay? First of all, we pointed out the action-packed emphasis on physical being. A lot of movements, a lot of things. What were the people doing? Behavior, behavior, physical universe why because we're focusing on jesus's physical body right it kind of opens it up to that we're looking for a physical body now james talks about two different kinds of wisdoms wisdom that's from above that's truthful and honorable and pure and right and wisdom that is from below which is demonic and we have that today. Wisdoms are two different uh, groups of knowledge, kind of. And Stephanie, when she was up here, she was using her, what are you focusing on? What are you looking on? Are you looking out here, the wisdom of the world? Or are you going to focus on God and get the wisdom of what's from above, the truth that's from above? So we need to keep our focus on getting our reliable sources from the Word of God. The Word of God. This is a reliable source. Okay? Okay. And in this book, there's no contradictions. They blend. the The gospels blend together. In your notebooks, on page um, 163, there was a footnote down there, and it says, "John's detail." In the starting in the center of that footnote, um, two stars john 's details often differ from those in the synoptic Gospels, and sometimes the synoptic 's description of events differ from one another. Commentaries say that these so called discrepancies actually help prove the bible 's inerrancy when witnesses to a crime or an accident testify, their accounts may vary because they had varying vantage points or appeared on the scene at different times. It is So it is with the gospel writer's accounts, okay? And then we had, Stephanie also used this morning when she held this up and asked what number this was, right? And some of you said nine, and some of you said six, right? You have a different perspective. You arrived on the scene at a different time. But what we're looking for for credible evidence is if The main facts of it all point to the same solution. Does all the evidence point to that's the murderer? That's our suspect, right? Or no, we can't have that one because that one doesn't plug into that. But all these Gospels come together. All right. So I'm going to run through it real quick. But before I say this, I'm saying this to you guys. When we live our lives today, we need to take all the evidence of how we live our lives and the choices we make based on credible information, okay? The Word of God is credible. It's not going to fail us. Okay, we're going to stick to that. But aside from that, I mean, it's not a moment by moment, you know, do this, wake up at this time, Molly, and do this, blah, blah, and go out and feed your horse a pear, you know, whatever. It's not like that. We got a lot of leeway with that. So as you collect information, you have to kind of make sure and always weigh it, weigh it, be a critical thinker. We have been spoon-fed since the television was invented and comes into every home. Many have several home, several rooms in a home. We are fed information from a news media that does not have our best interest in heart. And you can tell when you look at their stories that they all have similar talking points. They all use the same terminology. They all have the same, and they never vary from that. They get this four o'clock in the morning, they get their scoop out there. This is a story, this is what we're reporting, this is how we're gonna have the masses lean, okay? And you start to take notice. Where's the evidence? Where's the fact? They're telling us to do this. Where's the facts that base that up? So, as we look at this now with the Gospels, we're going to get played in. This is probably a good chance of what happened with this. The women were all talking. Sabbath was, or Passover was, or whatever, and it was like time... They had, you know, they rested on the Sabbath, whatever, that morning, as soon as it was over, whatever, they, they get together. They're talking about getting there and everything, and they're wondering, well, how are we going to roll the stone away? And I'm going to tell you this story, and then you go back and you can look at Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24, and see if this plays in. So they're talking about, what are we going to do? We got these spices. They had bought spices and everything, and they wanted to do this. So they're... So they had a plan. They're getting up in the morning, and they're going to go. Mary Magdalene, having been... Probably a woman who was fearless because she just lived with seven demons for so long. Nothing was going to stop her. She wasn't afraid of the dark. We're going. We're beelining out of there, right? That'd be that personality, right? Now, Mary, his mother, or some of the other, oh, no, no, we got to have friends like this. We've got to do it the right way. And I I can't see in the dark. You know, they didn't have glasses back then. We have to wait till the light comes out or whatever, right? But it was early in the morning. So Mary probably took off ahead of time. She gets there. She notices the stone has been rolled away. Doesn't see an angel at this point. Sometime there was an earthquake. They maybe had several earthquakes. I don't know. But one of the Gospels, I think Matthew mentions an earthquake. When that angel rolled it away, maybe there was a bunch of rumbling. Who knows? The, the demons in the, under the crust of the earth were probably upset. I don't know. Brown rumbled. So she gets there. Stone's rolled away. Oh, my gosh. Runs immediately to tell Peter and John. Now, we don't know. Peter and John were hanging out in their thing. Um, and meanwhile, while she's going that way, the rest of the women are coming in, right? They get there. They maybe don't even bypass her and they're looking, and they encounter an angel. Some of them records an angel sitting on the stone. Some of them record two angels standing inside. One of the Gospels records one angel standing inside, but none of this contradicts. No one said there were no angels there, right? Okay. Some of the Gospels says some of the women were so fearful, they went and they didn't tell anybody about it. Some of it said... The angels were there, and they all were asked, why are you looking for the living in amongst the dead? Why are you crying? Why he, and they all say, he is not here. You're looking for the common stuff. Stones rolled away. He's not here. Grave clothes are in there, okay? Angels say, not here. So they go. They go off, some of them trembling, some of them going and they telling, you know. Um, you know and I, did I get Peter and John? They got there probably maybe before these women, I'm thinking, you know, because they, they, they started to run. So they get there and they see that and they're out of there too and the women get there. And this is just kind of an idea. They go back, John and Peter. Mary, as soon as she tells them, she's like, oh, I'm coming back too. She's going back too. I don't know if they passed the women. We don't know, but the women are all gone. John and Peter are gone, and Mary is now there by herself, wanting to find out more in a desperate plea what happened because she's not quite sure yet that he has been resurrected and encounters Jesus. Meanwhile, she encounters Jesus, and he tells her what to do. After that, she, you know, went back to the disciples. Jesus appears to some of the other women that are going back on their route, too. Okay? Common things. Same conclusion from all these four Gospels. Empty tomb, nobody. Clothes neatly there. Angels confirming he ain't here, he's gone. And another one is go tell. Go tell. And that's what we need to do. We need to go tell. It's an incredible story. And for hundreds of years, people have been trying to destroy the story, discredit it. The word of God, flowers fade and the grass withers, but the word of God stands forever. Right? The truth stands forever. Whether or not people are going to believe it or not, we still speak the truth, right? God, thank you that you have opened our minds and our, the eyes of our hearts to, to understand your word. Thank you for your spirit that teaches, that illuminates, that corrects, that guides, That um, and just thank you, thank you, thank you that you did not stay dead. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you paid for our sins, that you conquered death, and you've given us new life. Give us the courage, give us the boldness to go and tell. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.